hit the countdown. <laughs> well, you all look dry. <laughs> Maybe you've dried off. <laughs> uh, either way, we're glad you're here. Amen. We're going to start this evening over in John 17. We will ultimately get there. But I welcome you tonight. You're on live stream, podcast. Glad that you could join with us today. It's always an honor to share the Word of God with you because you know the Word of God is what brings influence and change into our life. Amen. Amen. But you know, we have to take the Word. We have to receive that Word. We have to get that Word on the inside of us so that that Word becomes alive within us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just bless the Lord. We praise you, Lord. We give you the glory and the honor. There's none like you, Lord Jesus, glorious King and mighty God, everlasting Lord. You are a wonderful Savior, Redeemer. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the magnificent one. You are the holy one. You are high and lifted up. You are the risen Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're the lamb that was slain. You're the one that bore away our sin. You're the one that took away our sicknesses and diseases. Thank you, Lord, that you took all that we were so we could be all that you are. Thank you, Lord, that you removed out of the way. You removed the, 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 the hindrances of the flesh out of the way that it no longer keeps us out from your presence. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the life you've given for us, for your life that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, that we've never been the same again. And as long as we continue to grow with you, we have something to look forward to every day. Because tomorrow will be different than today. I thank you for it, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that as we sit at your feet, that by your Holy Spirit, you will teach us and impart revelation into our heart, that we'll take hold of your word, that the power of hell is not able to stand against it. Father, I thank you that your word is the answer for everything and anything that hell would ever offer to any human being, that we can walk in your goodness and your grace and the abundance of life that Jesus came to bring. Father, I just thank you so much for your anointing that removes burdens and destroys yokes. We open our heart right now to receive from you, Lord, that our thinking would change from carnal thinking to spiritual thinking, that we would not just know the word, but we think the word, that the word of God would be what's in our heart that directs our steps, that orders our choices and helps us in our decisions. Lord, we just thank you for that. We bless you, we honor you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we've been talking the last number of weeks about the glorious church, and I think we're going to finish up on it tonight, I think. I, I believe we will be, but don't hold me to it. <laughs> but we are going to start over in John chapter 17. And this is when Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And this was John 17 is called his high priestly prayer before the Father. That he not only prayed for his disciples, but he prayed for all those that would ever believe based on the word that they've declared all through the generations. So that means that John 17 was prayed for you also. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 17 in John 17. 
It says, I have given them, this is Jesus talking to the Father. This is his prayer to the Father. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Hallelujah. Now, he starts off by saying, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why does the world hate them? Because of the word. It's always because of the word. If it wasn't for the word, the world would love them. If it wasn't for the word, the world would love you. And when we talk about the world, we're not talking about people. We're talking about the world system that is run by Satan, who is the God of the world. And that system hates you because of the word. When the devil attacks you, what does he come to steal? The word, because the word is the victory. The victory over the world is faith. And he wants to steal the word because without the word, you cannot have faith. And without faith, you cannot have victory. And the world, and the world hates it when you have taken hold of the word. So when you see or understand or realize that somebody don't like you, stop taking it personal. You know, when Paul was uh, persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail and being put to death, and on his way to Damascus to arrest the believers over there, the Lord appeared to him and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting these people? Why don't you like these people? Why are you persecuting the church? Why are you against the believers? No, he didn't say that. If anybody takes it personal, Jesus takes it personal. You don't take it personal. It is not about you. It's about the word of God that's in you. I know many, many Christians that know nothing about the word and the world just loves them. Amen. I gave them your word, and the world hated them. The word of God is the enemy of the devil. It is the enemy of the world and the enemy of your own flesh. He said, I did not take them out. I'm not asking to take them out of the world. Isn't that right? right. We live in a world system all around us. We live in a society. The church is not to be a commune unto itself. The, the church is not to take a vow of hermits. <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to be disconnected from society. We live in society. You know, the churches of Revelation, they were not a commune. They lived in society. And Jesus showed up to talk to the seven pastors of the seven churches and living in society Five of the churches received correction because the spirit of the society in which they were living in had developed a foothold into the church. And the church was living just like the society around them. Jesus is not impressed with anybody or any Christian trying to get respect from the world by living like them. Amen. To think... You're going to affect the world by living like the world is witchcraft. It is not Bible. 
Jesus was telling the churches in the book of Revelation they needed to be sanctified, separate, holy, and consecrated. He said, I have this against you. That thing that's in that society is now in you and in your church, and I'm not happy about it. And if you don't overcome it, you will not receive rewards. That's what he said. You can read it. He spoke to seven churches. One church, he did not give any correction because they were under heavy, heavy, heavy persecution, dying, tribulations. And he actually used the word that they were being pressed like in a wine press. No correction. The other church that didn't receive a correction was the one that lived to outreach. Those are the two churches. Everybody else got corrected. There was commendations, but there was also corrections. They weren't totally off, but they were off enough to receive correction because where they received correction, they were not living separated. Amen. He said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, to be free from the power of the evil one. Well, we are free from the power of the evil one. You have been disconnected, untied, and removed from that connection to the evil one. And that's when it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. It means to untie and unbind you from the works of the devil. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Society can negatively affect the church. Let me say that again. Society can negatively affect the church. Do not be deceived. Don't think for a moment you're above it. The Word of God says you're not. Why? Because you still live in that flesh, and that flesh is still pulled by the things of the world. And to try to live among them and to, and to try to be like them, not going to work. Well, I, I just, you know, pastor, you know, I go to the bars pretty regular, but it's only to witness to people. You're under a great deception. Amen. Don't be deceived. Society will negatively affect you. We must learn to be different from the society that's around us if we're going to live in the overcomer's blessing. That is for us and for us alone. The blessing is for us, but we're only going to partake of it by being an overcomer. Amen. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Society. And I don't care if they're Christian friends. If they live like society lives, they are not your friend. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. Welcome to church. I know you're thinking, I'm glad this is the last night for this stuff. (laughs) First Corinthians chapter (laughs) 5. First Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you 
an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now, I want you to understand something here. He said the actions that he's talking about here of immorality is not even known among the Gentiles. Do you know how depraved the Gentiles were? This is pretty bad stuff. So obviously what they're talking about here is these people or person, whoever it might have been, was involved in worldly living. It's reported that there's immorality and immorality of the very worst kind. When normal immorality, you know, you know, there are things that we consider normal immorality. But when normal immorality is allowed to slip by, then gross immorality comes to the level of normal. See, what used to be, you know, you, know, you remember, what was it? Remember the, that movie Gone with the Wind? And, and Rhett said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Remember that? It took eight months to get that through the senses for them to finally say, okay, you can put that in the movie. Now look at all the garbage. That's considered normal. When normal immorality is allowed to slip by, then gross immorality comes to a level of normal. He says here in verse 2, he says that you are arrogant. You have become arrogant. The Corinthians' pride had reached such a point that they considered themselves above the standard of God. Perhaps, or maybe they considered themselves open-minded. I'm just open-minded. That's why all the crap's coming in. We're just open-minded. We're just broad-minded. I'm not narrow-minded. I'm not dogmatic. Well, the dog done biting your butt. Are you with me? What's verse 5 say? For I, on my part, though absent in the body but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I was present. So Paul, who's not even there, has already judged the person that's involved in this gross immorality. But yet the Corinthians, that's right there in the midst of all of this, they weren't even sorrowful over this sin. They accepted it. It was just fine. They were indifferent to it. They were blinded to what should have been their response. Just like most of the church today. Oh, pastor, we just love them, love them, love them. We accept their sin. We want their sin among them. Oh, we want that sin in here. Bring that sin in. Come on in. You bring your sin in and sit right up here. It's the way most of the church acts today. Why? Oh, you know, pastor, we're not supposed to judge. And, of course, because we're flesh, We've taken it all wrong. 
I don't care what kind of sin anybody's in. We are not judging nobody to hell. Oh, the way you're living, you're going to hell. That's a judgment. But the way you're living is wrong according to the word of God. That's not judging a person. It's judging the action. And you're supposed to judge the action. Even when it comes to the false teachers, what did Jesus say? You'll know them by their... So you're supposed to judge the... Which is... Anybody can talk a good talk, but then there's the action. And the actions are to be judged. The Corinthian church was so open-minded that they weren't even sorrowful that somebody in their midst is living in this condition. That this person could have lost their salvation over this. And nobody's sorrowful about it. Why? What did Paul say? Because they were arrogant. Don't think that when you love like the world that you are progressing. You are arrogant. Because you're setting yourself above God's standards. I don't care if it's your best friend, your mama, or your family. I don't care who it is. You don't set yourself above God's standards. Now, I know that's hard. That's rough. Because of your flesh being in so much control. That's what makes it rough. You get your flesh out of the way. You could see it easily. Paul said, I've turned this person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit would be saved in the day of judgment. That's love. He's concerned about the man's eternity, not some stupid affair he's involved in. Go ahead, go ahead, go down that road and let it destroy you. At least you'll be saved. Because if we accept it, promote it, and allow it, you'll get to the point to where you'll even lose your salvation. Because you'll think this kind of living is just fine. And people that can't see past the nose on their face, all they see is flesh standing there and don't know that every person is facing an eternity. And the more you promote, stand with, and say, I agree with the way you live, you're sending them to hell. Well, why do you have to be so rough about this? Because your flesh is so loud. And it needs to be overrun. What did Paul say in verse 2? You become arrogant. You have not mourned. You haven't mourned over their sin. You've accepted it. So that the one that had done this deed would be removed from your midst. What is Paul saying here? He's indicating you should have put him out. If he didn't want to change his way of living, you should have put him out. Oh, pastor, we don't put anybody out of the church. It's your problem. No, no, no. We need to grow the church, not put people out. And what do the churches do? Open the door to everybody's strife, everybody's sin, everybody's issues, everybody's problems. Come on in and just be among us. Because we only care about numbers. Because we believe in success the way the world believes in success. 
They were supposed to put them out. That was the discipline of the early church. You put them out. Put them out into the world and not let them be involved in any of the benefits of being in the church. The honor of God and the holiness of the church was at stake, was at stake here. This is what Paul's talking about. You are dishonoring God and the holiness that belongs in the church is being diminished because you're allowing sin. Sin that is worse than anything even among the Gentiles and you're just allowing it. The attitude of the Corinthian believers concerning this gross sin shows they still had a long way to go to rise above the wicked environment in which they lived. Society was still, still influencing them. Society was telling them, well, you're just intolerant. Society was telling them, well, you're just not accepting. You're dang right we're not. We don't accept your sin. Now, as a sinner, you're welcome to come in. But we're not accepting your sin. And we're not changing our bylaws to give you any position in the church. But you're welcome to come in, hear the word, and allow the word of God to touch you and change you if you'll stay. It's not about being inclusive and walking in acceptance. This is about walking under the standards of the word of God. Either we're the church or we're not. Choose ye this day who ye will serve. You're either going to serve God or serve the world. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. And again, we're not judging the sinner. We're judging the sin. And when you judge the sin, you don't go gossip in the corner. Just as a side note. You don't go gossip about it. That's not helping anything. The city of Corinth had become so notorious for its wickedness that its very name became a symbol of the worst kind of immorality. They would say things like, what are you going to do this weekend? We're going to go Corinthianize, which means we're headed on down to the city of Corinth. Huh? Amen. Okay. So Corinth was not known for its correct living it was known for its immorality just like society today people are proud of their sin they're proud of it because they feel what it's normal and it's acceptable and see i still remember 30 years ago i still remember 40 years ago in the church and the church had certain standards but society Pounded, pounded, and pounded on the church. You're judging. You're judging us. You're judging us. You're not supposed to judge it. Who's the world to tell the church how we're supposed to live? But the church who's ignorant of the word of God said, you're right. We're not going to judge you anymore. We're going to just stop all that, and we're just going to accept everything. So what the society has worked hard at was to get the church to shut up and get the government to approve their lifestyles. And now they have no resistance to anything that they want to do because of the church. And it's always because of the church. The church is always the problem. Jesus told the church, occupy until I come. It's not occupying. 
It's giving away land. It's giving away, uh, uh, moving the boundaries. It's, it's doing everything it shouldn't be doing. So people are proud of their sin. They feel it's normal, should be acceptable. It's made its way into the body of Christ. This man that Paul is talking about, as dishonoring as this man's sin was, the church's arrogance was worse. The church probably felt that compared to what else went on in Corinth, maybe this wasn't so horrible. Therefore, they judged based on man's unrighteousness rather than on God's righteousness. Well, compared to everything else that's going on in society, you know, I mean, these things aren't so bad. But compared to God's standard of righteousness, what is it? Well, if I judge their sin, well, I'm going to have to judge mine. That would be a good idea. Go right ahead until something before somebody else does. You're supposed to judge your own. Amen. The city of Corinth, after it was destroyed, was rebuilt by Julius Caesar. And he paid people to live there. No, we're not talking about today. We're talking about back in the days of Julius Caesar. And they paid people to live there, and it was populated mostly with sailors and soldiers of the Roman army. So, who populated the church at Corinth? Same people. They were rough, they were tough people, always looking for sex and ways to make fast money by scamming and stealing. They were drunks, they were immoral, they were temple goers, partakers of all the pagan festivities. And now they've come into the church with all the lifestyle of society that they came from. Yep, just like every one of us. Just like all of us, no different. We all came into the church, we all got saved, and we came in with our habits, we came in with our actions. We came in with our ideas. We came in with our sin. And we came in with whatever we learned in society and partook of. We brought it right on in to the church. And they, just like all of us, need renewing to God's righteous ways of judging, perceiving, thinking, and acting. Amen. And it all starts in the thinking got to get renewed to God's way of thinking. You know, what we learned in society, we, we've learned uh, a lot of it was wrong. Well, wasn't it all wrong? Yes, it was, but you haven't learned it all yet. <laughs> I'm still in the process of being renewed. I had some people tell me one time, you know, when you get to a certain age, you don't sin anymore. I'm like, what? you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I don't know. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, or homosexuals. Neither thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
When we first got born again 42 years ago, we were taught that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we were taught that we were righteous, made righteous in our spirit, which is the real us. Therefore, the kingdom of God is ours, no worries. Because we're righteous. But you know, the Bible says, it talks about those that are in the process of being saved. See, you're only in the process of being saved. You were saved spiritually, but you have not been saved soulishly, except for the certain parts that have gotten changed. And you will not be saved physically until Jesus comes back and you get a new body. At that point, salvation will be complete. In the meantime, you're in the process of being saved. You understand? So when we were taught that the righteousness of Christ is in us, in our spirit man, there is an element of truth to that. Yes, it is. But the unrighteous, the unsaved, the ungodly will not inherit and not partake of the kingdom. Right? In fact, where was that? In verse 10? Nor thieves, nor co- he goes through the whole list. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look in verse 9 where it starts. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Who's the unrighteous? The ones that are not saved. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not obtain it. They will not acquire it. They will not possess it. But then he goes down the list of what unrighteousness looks like. So he's not saying that if you're saved and you're an adulterer, you'll never get into heaven. That's not what he's saying. I don't suggest that you be a believer and live in adultery and think, well, I'm going to heaven anyway. That would be another mistake. The idea is that if this is a list or a partial list of how the unrighteous live, why would we as believers want to be on that list? So Paul's not saying that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God because they're not good enough. That's not at all what he's saying. The Corinthians were once just as wicked. So were we. We were whatever we were. Go down the list. Pick as many as you were. Wickedness has no future with God. And so those who are devoting themselves to ungodly behaviors, they are forming lifestyles that are contrary to God's will and God's worth and will not be given a place in the kingdom. See, these are things that Jesus talked about in Revelation to they that overcome. See, to them that overcome, there was always a position given to them. But when you live in this stuff and you don't overcome, there's no position for you in the kingdom. Just like you can come into this church and you could be in that list and you live outwardly like this, you're not going to come in this church and wind up in the pulpit. You're not going to wind up as an usher. You're not going to wind up in leadership. 
you're not going to wind up in worship. You understand what I'm saying? Why? Because you're not given a position until you do something about your life. The whole list that Paul laid out to Timothy about the qualifications for deacons. I've had people give the list back. Pastor Morgan's had people give the list back. It's go, can't do that. You know, one of them was that you'd be the husband of one wife, which means one wife at a time. doesn't mean you've never been divorced. That's man's doctrine. It means one wife at a time. Because the pagans had more than one wife. Why? I don't know, but they had more than one wife. They must have all been low maintenance. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, they would always have more than one wife. But God's standard was one man and one woman. That was God's standard. So Timothy, uh, Paul told Timothy they have to be the husband of one wife. So that doesn't mean that in order to be a deacon, you got to have the husband, you got to be the husband of one. What it means is before even considering being a deacon, you need to get your life in order and have only one wife. And as you get your life in order, you may step into a position because of getting your life in order. Are you with me? Same thing with this list. It's about getting your life in order, getting out of the way the unrighteous live. Because there is an eternity, and only overcomers will step into the reward. Well, do I have to overcome all of that in order to step into the reward? Here's the deal. Any bit you do overcome, you'll get a bit of a reward. How much reward do you want? You don't get to play again the second time around. You don't come back as a fly. You know, Uncle Tony isn't going to be the cow standing on the corner. You don't get a second chance at this. One time through life, that's it. And all eternity will be based on what you did here. That's sobering. It should be sobering tomorrow morning. It should be sobering when the weekend comes. This is something that should roll around on the inside of you all the time. Your life is determining your eternity. So with all of these things that he talks about that the unrighteous do, we don't really need to go through most of these things on the list. Everybody knows what they are. They're self-explanatory. But keep this in mind. Sin is not only outward action but also inward imaginations. Jesus said in, in, to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard that he who commits adultery and talks about adultery, he says, but I say to you, he who looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery. When Jesus came to fulfill the law, every jot and every tittle means to dot every I, cross every T. That means that he not only fulfilled it all in his actions, but he fulfilled it all in inwardly in his thinking, in his attitudes, and everything was totally correct and in line with the Father's will. Inward, outward, everything. So Jesus always did that. He say. This is what you heard in the law, but I say to you. And he's backing it up a little further. So sin is not only outward action, but also inward imagination. 
So he talks here about idolaters. That's one of the things. And, you know, in our vernacular, idolatry can be like, oh, what is idolatry? You know, uh, we're not going to any Satan temples or anything like that. But over in 1 Samuel, it tells us rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Insubordination means to push against God and to be arrogant. What was the problem in the Corinthian church? Arrogance, which means they were in what? Idolatry. How is God going to bless a church walking in idolatry? Rebellion is as the sin of divination or witchcraft. Oh, I don't practice witchcraft. Are you rebellious? Are you rebellious to the things of God? Insubordination is pushing against God and being arrogant. It's iniquity. It's sin. It's empty pursuits. It is idolatry. Giving moderate, giving, I'm sorry, giving immoderate focus, love, and attention to anything other than God is idolatry. You know, I love my wife, but I don't love her more than God. If she messes up, she's on her own. <laughs> Not that I won't try to get you back. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. You know, we made that decision when we first got saved. We sat down and said, make your decision right now. I'm running for God. Are you? Because if you're not, let's say goodbye right now. It'll be easier. If you don't want to run for God, we're done. What do you want to do? And we made that decision with each other. And at that time, we both said, we're going to run for God. And we said, okay, we can do that together. No playing games. You got to stop with the games. What will people think if I obey God? Oh, what are they going to think? Who gives a rip what they think? You think you care more about what people think than what God thinks? Idolatry. That's idolatry. You are putting that person's opinion above God's. I've had people tell me off. Um, in fact, this one fellow, he was a insurance salesman uh, and not past the 10, just so you know. <laughs> we love you, past the 10. But this fellow was, was a salesman. He came to my house. This was back in the 80s. And he was known for being like a bulldog type person. That was just his personality. And he'd come in and he'd present to me this whole thing. And I'd look at it and go, that looks pretty good and all. And I said, well, I need to pray about it. And I can give you an answer after I pray about it. He said, okay. He says, I can come back next week. I said, that's fine. And he did. He came back next week. And I had prayed that week. And I really believed God did not want me to get involved in this. So I told him, I'm not going to get involved with it. I believe that... Um, God's told me not to get involved with it. Well, he pretty much told me off and then treated me like I was an idiot. This was the Christian man. Now, what if I cared about it? What if I cared about what he said and what he thought? I would have to go against God. So I found out a few years later that I did get involved with that company, but it was with somebody different. So the company was not the problem. The salesman was. 
But if I went against God because he thought I was an idiot and told me that, he told me there's something wrong with me, told me that God would never tell me what he told me. <laughs> and if I said, well, maybe I didn't hear right from God, so let's just go ahead and do this. I feel bad, you know. That's idolatry. That's rebellion. That's insubordination. See, God wants us to be separated, consecrated, and devoted to him first and above everything else even our family. When your family's not in line, your family don't come, doesn't get a spot there. I know Pastor Nid talked about this Tuesday, you know, with our daughter. And unfortunately, there were some things that went on and we had to say, can't have anything to do with that. And um, we had to say, it's cut off. No more coming over to the house. No more having family's time. No more having dinners and just ha-ha, hee-hee, and fellowship. You want to get together? We can get together. But we're going to talk to you about what's going on in your life. And it took five years. For five years, there was not very much contact. We had a little bit of contact. We went out to eat, but did exactly what we said we were going to do. Talk to you about what's going on in your life and not let it slide by. Like, we're just, okay, everything's okay. No, it was not okay. This is her life. This is not about you feeling good about being around somebody. This is her life. You got to start saying their life is on the line. And you're not going to patty cake them into the position they need to be in. And it took five years. But after five years, she said, I am tired of not being around my family. She made the decision to get things right and come back where she needed to be. See, there's a promise in Jeremiah that says your children will return to their own territory. Amen. Well, again, what if I cared? What if I cared about all the tears that she shed? What if I cared about her saying, oh, you're judging me? What if I cared about all the carrying on that went on? Okay, okay, honey, it'll be okay. We'll just, no, no. You don't buddy up to this. This is wrong. I've had people push, you know that verse of scripture, Jesus said it. Unless you hate your mother and your father and your brothers and your sisters, you'll have no part of me. <laughs> oh, people. People, they're like, oh, they go crazy over that. But what is Jesus saying? He doesn't say you're going to hate them. What he means is in contrast to your relationship with the Lord. If you don't have the attitude that the Lord comes first, and if anything tries to get in the way, no. So you have to understand something. In the Jewish culture back in the day, if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're cut off. Your mother cuts you off. Your father cuts you off. Your family cuts you off. Everybody cuts you off. Well, if you do not take the attitude that I'm walking away from it and I'm putting Jesus first, you'll get sucked right back into it. could cost you your salvation are you with me so what would happen 
if somebody received Jesus, family cuts them off. And they go, oh, I know I want to go back to my family. I won't put Jesus first. How are you going to be blessed living now in idolatry? Your mother's an idol. Your father's an idol. Your kids are an idol. How are you going to be blessed? You're living in a dreamland. You're not putting God first. If you listen to and hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, then, then all these blessings. To that which I command you, not to the things that you want to do. Well, I listen to the voice of the Lord because I need healing in my body. No, we're talking about a righteous life. This is a lifestyle that we're supposed to be living. Amen. Covetous. The covetous. What are the covetous? One who wants more and wants what others have. The socialist wants your stuff so that they can live better. You know, you have the right to the pursuit of happiness. You don't have the right to happiness. You have the right to pursue happiness. That's the Constitution. It's amazing how many things you hear on the news now and say, oh, they're taking away our constitutional rights. What constitutional rights? Abortion is not a constitutional right. But they're out there screaming that it's a constitutional right. It's not. The Second Amendment is a constitutional right, but they want to tell you that's not a right. Does anybody read anymore? (laughs) Yeah. We have the right to pursue happiness. And it's all up to the individual. It's not up to other people to make you happy. I've heard people just outright live in sin and just say, well, God wants me to be happy. Yeah. And then there is the reviler. It's someplace in that list. The reviler is an abusive person. It doesn't matter if it's abusive actions or abusive speech. They're an abusive person. It is in them to be a reviler. And all of these things, it takes a renewing of the mind. It takes grace to instruct us and teach us how to live godly in this life. When grace speaks, the number one thing we usually do is defend ourselves. Oh, well, no, no, no. You know, really, it wasn't wasn't really that, you know. Like grace doesn't know. The spirit of grace knows exactly. But what do you need to do? You need to give yourself to what you're hearing. Do you know that... Most of the things we do wrong, we don't even know it. And it takes the spirit of grace to reveal to us what those things are that need to be changed in our life. And you need to give yourself to what you hear and drink of the things of the spirit instead of drinking of the things of the flesh. Amen. Where are we? Verse 11. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And such were. Well, fill in the blanks. What were you? You could fill in the blanks. And such was I. You know, go down the list. Which one was I? Which two was I? Maybe I fit all that. You know, whatever it might have been. We've come into the church. We got saved. And we were such as that. Isn't that right? But what now? We're being renewed. We're being renewed by the word of God so that we can live a righteous life, take hold of the righteousness we've been made to be, and live that out into our life. Hallelujah. You were washed. You were sanctified. 
and you were justified. Paul adamantly argues that the Christian life must be consistent with the truth of the gospel. And he reminds the Corinthian church that the experience of God's grace means the reality and the obligation of the believer's obedience to God's will. This is not about I'm obeying God because I have a will and I have a want. And I don't want to mess up anything that I want. It's not at all what he's talking about. He's talking about the obligation to be obedient to the will of God. What we talked about, I think it was Sunday we talked about, if you be willing and obedient. If you're willing and obedient, then you eat the good of the land. If you're obedient and not willing, you'll get a little something. If you're willing, but you never do it, you had a good intentions, you probably won't get nothing. But if you're willing and obedient, then you'll eat the good of the land. Now, that might not fit you, but that's why you need to change. That's why we have to renew our mind. That's why we've got to get changed in our inward soul. I know this is not an exciting message, but it can change your life. It's very, very simple. It's called stop living like the old man. Not your old man, but the old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, you know, Paul's father was crucified with Christ, right? He was one of the thieves on the cross. Paul said it, my old man was crucified with Christ. <laughs> okay, you were washed. The defining moment of being washed was the new birth. Titus says you were washed and regenerated by the Holy Ghost. You were the things that we just talked about, but the washing of the word of God came that cleansed you, forgave you, and regenerated you by the Holy Spirit and made you a new creature in Christ. You were washed. Hallelujah. You were sanctified. You were made holy. You were set apart separated. God set you aside. Now you are a saint in the kingdom of God. Isn't that right? No longer connected to the old life of who you were. You might look the same, but you're not who you used to be. We're now consecrated to the Lord, and he didn't just deliver us from sin, but he paid the price for our sin that we could not pay. And he bought us back. He didn't, it's not that he brought us back. He bought us back. He paid the price so we could come back. We were washed. We were sanctified. And we were justified. We were made righteous. We were transformed from unrighteousness to righteousness in the twinkling of an eye. And he did it all. He did all three of these for us. Hallelujah. Just like the Corinthian church, what goes on in the body of Christ today is just the same. There is nothing new under the sun. We have all come out of the world, and we've all come into the church, and we brought our past lifestyle with us because you can't leave it behind. When we got born again, we were not changed in all parts of our being. We were not changed in our soul. We were not changed in our physical body. 
Some come to church in those lifestyles and have no word, so they cannot change. With some, we need to be patient and forgiving with people that are growing, people that are working on change. Some hear the word of God and it creates in them, oh, wretched man that I am. And the war starts waging. But not everybody wants to press on into victory. Everybody wants to just blow it off and go, it's just the way I am. Well, honey, it's your rewards. It's your life. You get what you get based on your attitude. Well, that's just the way I am. So that expression, that's just the way I am, you know it's not right. Why don't you do something about it? Why do you continue on with it, placating it, patty caking it, and keep playing around with it and letting it have dominion in your life? Becoming new in Christ and learning who we are in Christ are two different things. As one takes hold of the word of truth, they'll be empowered to behave differently. See, if you'll take hold of the word of truth, that whole thing that you say, well, that's just the way I am. See, if you take hold of the word of truth, it'll empower you over that thing. And you don't have to be like that anymore. It'll empower you to behave differently and it'll change you to a holy lifestyle as the mind gets renewed to that truth as you meditate it, ponder it, and keep it in mind. But not everybody wants to press in to victory because to get victory, there has to be a battle. And to get into a battle, you're going to have to get dirty. Not everybody wants to. Oh, that's just too much. Too much. You know why it's too much? Because you've learned to live with that nonsense. That's why this is too much. Because you see, to put on those old, dirty, holy jeans or to put on those shoes with holes in them where they go so comfortable and you've worked, you've walked. To put on a new pair, man, you got to break them in. Not everybody wants to break in. Oh, just give me them old shoes back again. And that's what people do. They want to put on that old lifestyle. They want to put on that old attitude. They want to put on that old way because it was so much easier. It's not easier. It's killing you. It's stealing your rewards from you. The devil is stealing the word from you so you can't walk in victory. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 18. Why did the Apostle Paul talk so much like this to the Corinthian church? Because the Corinthian church was one of the most carnal churches around. Considering the society they surrounded, although many, many churches were surrounded by that society, they just didn't all have that society in their church. Verse 18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. See, we're washed, sanctified, and justified. Therefore, flee immorality. He just told us, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Therefore, flee immorality. Get away as fast as you can in the face of temptation. Don't hang around. Run away. And, it, and, and not just that, but any kind of sin. What is the sin that so easily besets you? You know, 
if smoking dope is one of my favorite things and somebody goes, hey, here, I got some for you, run! <laughs> don't stand there going, yeah, nah, I don't want it. Because the more you look at it, the more you're going to want it and flesh is going to go, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. <laughs> you know it, I know it, everybody knows it, the devil knows it. Run! You need to just run away from there. Flee. It's a good principle for every situation. The mirror translation says, flee fornication. Every sexual sin is a violation of the sacredness of the human body, and it scars the conscience of the individual like no other sin does. The best way to escape temptation is to remember who you are. And then think accordingly. You get faced with that stuff, first thing you ought to think is, it's what I used to do. I don't do that anymore. That's not me. I've been chained. I've been washed. I've been sanctified. I've been justified. Therefore, I flee. Amen. Who's a good example of somebody that did not flee? Samson. Samson didn't flee. He liked playing around. Oh, I'm just going to play around a little. I'm going to tease him. I'm just going to play the game with him. Yeah, he went down. But who's the good example of the one that did flee? Joseph. Joseph did flee. Isn't that right? Samson lost everything. Joseph got to walk into and live in his God-given dream. See, where do you want to go? Are you satisfied with where you're at? Are you satisfied with baby in this thing in your life? Or do you want to get out of there and have stuff happen in your life? This is the very thing that is the, 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 the blockade. It's the wedge. It's the thing that's keeping you out, and you won't let go of it. That was on the list of the former lifestyle, fornication. So get away before you easily fall into that old life. Put space between you and whatever that sin is. The thing that so easily besets you. What is your favorite sin? What's your favorite thing? What's your favorite ugly attitude? What is it? Get away from it. It's besetting you. Put it off. Run away from that thing. There was a football player some years ago, 80s or 90s, but he set himself up with self-discipline. And he wasn't married, and he would go see his girlfriend. I don't know if, if they were engaged at the time, but he would go see her at her home. And by 9 o'clock, he said, this was the discipline, 9 o'clock, I'm out of here. I will not stay later than 9 o'clock. And um, sometimes it was raining out. I don't know where they lived, but I think it was an area where there was snow. And sometimes conditions were not right to be out. And there was a lot of things that came up that he could have just made the excuse and said, uh, well, just this one time. But he disciplined himself every single time. Self-discipline. This is what I'm setting up. This is the discipline. This is what I do. Doesn't matter if she says, oh, just stay for the night. Doesn't matter if the weather says you can't drive in this stuff. It doesn't matter anything else that's going on. This is the discipline. This is what I do. And every time before 9 o'clock, by 9 o'clock at the latest, he would go home. And he did it until he got married. 
if you don't do the discipline, life will discipline you. And you won't like that. Life has no mercy. Verse 19 and 20. Good news, we're getting to the end. I don't know if this is rougher on me or you. I don't feel the love coming. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are the temple. Now, we go to the temple to worship God. Because the Bible tells you, God says so, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So you ought to go to a temple, a place to worship God. But we are also the temple. So as much as we assemble together and worship the Lord, as the living temple of God, we worship God with our everyday life. See, this is where you come into church and with your lips you honor God, but because of your lifestyle of living right before God, you are close to him in your heart. See, what he talked about in the, about the, the, the folks from the Old Testament, he said, with my, their lips they honor me, but their heart is far from me because they didn't live right. And he's getting, in, he's getting what comes out of your mouth in line with your lifestyle. And if you want worship in your life to become more powerful, get your life more in line with God. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. We have been bought with a great price, a high price. Jesus paid a high price. As I've said before, there's not a movie that's ever been made that can really depict what happens in a crucifixion. You know, when Peter was crucified, before he was crucified, they crucified his family and made him watch and made, them, made him watch them die an agonizing death. And he keeps saying to them, remember Jesus, remember Jesus. And then when it came to him to be crucified, he said, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same way my Lord was crucified. See, this is how you know the resurrection is real. It's not a made up story. You have 12, his 12 disciples, 12 apostles, the apostles of the Lamb. And if any of you have ever been around criminals, you put a little pressure on them, they fold like, a, like an old suit, cheap suit. They fold like a cheap suit. Ready to give up whoever they need to give up, you know, let's make a deal, all this other stuff. But every one of the apostles, now, this is before social media, this is before telephones, before TV. There was absolutely no long-distance communication at all. So if I'm sitting someplace and somebody's threatening to torture me, I could say, okay, listen, I'll just do what you say. Nobody else would know it. Nobody would know it. But every one of them, where there was no communication, where nobody knew what was going on, every one of them chose to die a horrible death rather than deny their, their Lord. Except John, he's the only one that retired to Ephesus. All 11 of them, whether it was Peter that was crucified upside down, which is horrendous. 
One of them got peeled like an onion. I forget the other ones. Those are the two that stand out. But they all died a, a horrendous death because they would not deny their Lord. And nobody would have known if they did. That's how you know the resurrection's real. They understood they were bought with a high price. Jesus gave up everything for you. And you don't want to let go of what? To honor him? That this thing is more important? This attitude is more important? This thing that you're doing is more important than honoring the God that gave up everything for you? That went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows and in between died a horrendous death and shed his blood. How could we not honor him in our life as the living temple of the living God. That we would glorify God. This version says in your body. Other versions say in your spirit and in your body. Of course, they both belong to God. Both your spirit and your body belongs to God. Okay, one last verse. John 17 again. Verse 15 and 16. John 17, verse 15 and 16. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not out of the world. Because the world declares something to be right, does not mean it's right. Because the government signs something and says it's right, doesn't mean it's right. And you have to understand and know, are you going to obey God or are you going to obey man? You got to renew your mind to it. And then by the renewing of your mind, you can control your body, which includes your mouth. Take possession of the word of God or by the word of God. Take possession by the Holy Spirit. Keep the temple swept clean. Holiness is the behavior of righteousness that we have become in Christ. Living in line with the inner life that's in us, what God has done for us. You all know the verse in Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me read it to you from the Wist translation. Pay very close attention. Wist is very wordy. Stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you and is not representative of what you are in your inner being. But it's patterned after this age. So, let me say that again. That's half of it. Stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you. Stop it. Just stop it. You got to realize that these outward expressions, is this outward expression representative of who I am? Oh, I'm just going to act like this for a while, but then I'm going to. No, this outward expression is not. 
So what you're saying then is I'm going to go ahead and sin a little bit and then I'll get it together and I'll be right. Because you know it's not representative of who you are. And if you're not living out of who you are, you're not walking in the truth. And if you're not walking in the truth, you're walking in a lie. And who's the biggest one being deceived? Me. Thinking it's okay. It's not okay. You know it's not okay. Stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you and is not representative of what you are in your being, but it's patterned after this age. So stop living like the society around you and start living by that which represents who God made you to be. Change your outward expression to one that comes from within and is representative of your inner being by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. That's where it gets down dirty and that's where the battle takes place. And if you don't kick the snot out of whatever it is you're dealing with, it will kick the snot out of you. Because sin will take you further than you plan to go. Sin will keep you longer than you plan to stay. And sin will create more problems than you ever planned on having. It may seem like it's going along smooth already, but the devil is ready to pull the plug. We're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified. We are separated to him, and he has called us to live holy as he is holy. He's called us to it. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads. This was a very somber word tonight, very sobering, something that must be considered and pondered, something we must give thought to, something that we must use to examine our own self. And upon doing that, we must decide what direction am I going to go? And whatever direction, if I'm going to go in God's direction, the first thing I need is to get a hold of the Word of God and start renewing my mind to it, start putting it in my thinking, start pondering it so that it can affect my decisions, affect my choices, affect my life inwardly, affect my life outwardly, affect my soul, affect my actions. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful for what Jesus has done for us in paying our price, carrying away our sin, becoming sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of our God. Oh, Holy Spirit, we're so thankful. Thankful, Father, for your great plan of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to carry it out. Now, Holy Spirit, we look to you as the one that lives within us, that you are the one that empowers us, that helps us, that works with us. Help us, Holy Spirit, in the empowerment that is needed, in the direction that each one of us as individuals need to take, just one step at a time, 
and stepping out from where we are and stepping into where God's calling us to. For every word that the Father has spoken is calling us to something, calling us to a higher life, calling us to a higher way of thinking, calling us to a greater perception, calling us to increase in our life, calling us to fulfill, walk in His will and obedience to Him. Help us, Holy Spirit. Show us. Show us. As we sit and examine ourselves, show us what it is we need to change. Arrogance is not what we want. It is of the arrogance is part of the sin that is in the world. And we don't want that. The lust of the flesh, we don't want that. It's part of the sin of the world. The lust of the eyes is something we don't want. It's part of the sin of the world. Help us, Holy Spirit, to have power over it, to take charge over it, to walk in dominion over it, and to have authority over it. That I would walk out from where I'm at and walk in to the greater life that Jesus came to provide for me and paid for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I receive that in the name of Jesus, even for myself, Holy Spirit. I receive that for myself, that in those quiet times, you show me what I need to change. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word this evening, that it brings increase into our life. Because every time we change into that which you have declared, increase takes place in our life. We step up higher. We move in further. We take more ground. And we bring loss to the kingdom of darkness. Thank you, Father, that your word is a light that shines on the darkness areas of our soul. So that we can change those things. You don't show them to us to condemn us. You show it to us to change us so that we can be free. Father, we thank you for it. We bless you and praise you. Give you all the glory and all the honor that you alone receive. You alone are worthy of it all, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, Father, I just thank you that as we come before you this evening with our giving, and we sow our seed, Father. We do it by faith. We do it out of honor. And we do it out of respect to you. That we come. We're so grateful for the seed that you have put within our hand. And you've put it in our hand so we can plant it. And it will produce a harvest into our life. That as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. And Father, I just thank you that in the harvest that comes back, we'll have seed to sow again. We'll have fruit to share with others and to continue the process over and over, increasing more and more and more. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen, amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And I just want to tell you that the, uh, the mortgage is down to 11000 now. Hallelujah. Soon and very soon. It's right around the corner. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus.
If you joined us on live stream, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you for sitting there through that word that really does talk to us in a way that maybe we're not used to, or maybe um, we'd like to have it a little smoother sometimes. <laughs> but you know, sometimes life, God knows exactly where we're at, yeah. knows what we need, and um, he's never had me to come out here with a pre-planned idea of how we're going to talk a message. But, you know, we just pray in the Holy Ghost and say, Lord, in spite of me, have your way. And um, we just do our best to follow him and do the things that he wants. And our prayer is that it brings change yeah. and increase yes. into our thinking, into our believing, and ultimately touching our life. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net. And I uh, thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything at all that we can ever stand in prayer with you about, please let us know. It is always an honor to stand with our partners and believe God for your needs to be met. Amen. Amen.